Shut up and sit down. everyone um <clears throat> can you guys hear my fan um those of you in the chat room if you could let me know if you can hear my fan i'd really appreciate it um i'm really hoping that you're going to say no that you can't hear it um because i don't want to part with it being premenopausal sucks motherfucker damn damn better <sighs> i get hostile when i'm hot so <laughs> You guys be prepared. Wow. Jesus, mother fucking Christ. Okay, um wow. I just earned my R rating like in the first thirty seconds. Yay. <sighs> okay. Tonight we're gonna plot drift. Um I was listening to some uh, one of them last night. I was listening to the one um that I listened to several of the ones, and I got so tickled on one, um, just listening to it, that I was laughing harder than I was when I got tickled on the actual podcast. Uh, it, it just, it was funny as fuck. Anyway, I was listening to them, I thought we could do some more, and, um, <clears throat> and so we're going to explore the episode Dead Air, and the variations on it, um, Dead air is like the horse in NCIS that no one can beat enough. Um, so we're going to do that. I'm going to put Jilly on the air in a minute. Um, share a little funny with you. Um, I inadvertently taught my puppy, um, Kronos, to back up to the phrase, back that ass up. And that's the only way he backs up. Back that ass up. <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. He's just really smart. And um, that's what he's associated with that activity. And now I'm stuck with it. Anyways. <sighs> Anyways. And I am unmuted too. Jilly is going to... um do the plot drift with us because dead air is her particular dead horse. <laughs> it ain't dead yet, baby. <laughs> her comatose horse. It might be in a coma. That's true. It definitely has a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> I got this um, tangerine lemonade. Oh my goodness. It is really good, y'all. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Don't let, don't um, can't have that in your Rodney though. Tangerine lemonade, um, Tropicana makes it. Oh, it's so good. I buy the um, watermelon for my husband because watermelon juice is really good for you. Um, it's got all kinds of antioxidants and, and vitamins, and it's just a super drink, super food. I mean, um, diuretic but, too. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Um, 
<laughs> and um, like, oh, but, uh, I have to go. I got the tangerine for myself, and it is awesome. I really enjoy it. I'm having raspberry lemonade right now. Sorry, Azure. <laughs> that one. Which <laughs> the trifecta of allergies this evening? Okay. <clears throat> for those of so you who are unfamiliar, oh, go ahead. I'll go ahead. I'll let you do the intro, and then I'll mention the thing. Okay. Okay, the thing. Okay, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with this episode of NCIS or don't immediately get the connotation, in the episode Dead Air, um, a man is murdered live on the radio. And in the course of the investigation, Denozo is sent into an, a residential neighborhood, an upscale residential neighborhood, um, to get voice prints to try to find um, the killer because he was recorded on the radio show. And by that point, the killer had already been connected to a possible domestic terrorist cell. So they knew at the point of getting voice prints that they were dealing with a domestic terrorism. So he's in this um, residential neighborhood called the Royal Woods, right? Yep. And he's getting voice prints. And Tim and Ziva are his partners in the field and at his job. And they are in the car, and they're supposed to be listening to him. Um, they get tired of listening to him, and they turn the radio off. And in the show, it is treated like a joke. They even tell him when he gets back in the car that they stopped listening to him because they were tired of it. And um, it was never addressed on the show, and it remains one of the biggest flaws in NCIS canon that these two got away with abandoning their partner in the field. It's a complete suspension of disbelief issue that everybody who knows anything about, I mean, even even lay people know that that is a big no-no. So the fact that the writers didn't twig into what they were doing is a big problem. So we're going to explore that um, variations on the theme. And it is, if you go to Google and you put in dead air recommendations in CIS, you're going to get a fuck ton. Because it is, I mean, it is, I would say it is the Duranda of NCIS for, um, for Stargate fans. Um, Trinity Duranda um, is the biggest half-dead horse in SGA for um, tags. For, I mean, it was huge for a while. Okay, I am pulling for the people in the chat room. This is straight from the episode. There we go. So, Julie just pasted some dialogue into the chat room, and I'm going to read it for you. What happened to you? McGee's voice came through clearly over Tony's wire as he got into the car. Don't play dumb. You reveled in every minute of my suburban suffering, Tony replied raspily, because he's been talking so long his voice is hoarse. Actually, uh, no, we've not been listening for the last couple of hours. Ziva adds, one can only stand your voice for so long. Did you talk to everyone? There are a couple of problems with this. Just this, just this. If you ignore the possible ramifications for Tony's life, they're going to go back to NCIS and they're going to have to file reports, and they're going to lie in their reports. Mm-hmm. They're going to lie about listening to it. When they get the transcripts, they're going to lie about witnessing it. When it goes to court. 
they're going to have to lie about hearing um, the voice prints, hearing because he does actually get a recording of the killer, right? Yes, he did talk to the they're gonna, to the killer. McGee and Ziva both are going to have to lie about hearing him on the tape to corroborate um, the recording as evidence. Also, Tony's mic was live when he got in the car, which meant that whole exchange was recorded. So, if that exchange gets into the transcript and it gets to the JAG office, in reality, shit would have hit the fan. But... It was ignored on NCIS. So you can take that a couple of ways. You can take it that Abby deleted the last part of the transcript, which means she's guilty of tampering with evidence in a case involving domestic terrorism. They tried to blow up a playground full of families and children. Or so it's not she didn't a trivial edit action. It. She left it in there, and the people at JAG are the most incompetent fucking people to ever walk on the earth. Those are the ramifications of the plot, the actual canon events. But it's never, ever addressed, ever, in the show. Nope. Now, someone asked earlier at the start in the chat room, they asked if if this would lead to the mothership. And I just want to mention something in terms of timing. In terms of when the series NCIS and Hawaii Five-O um, are in the same universe. Now, no one from NCIS proper has been on Hawaii Five-O, but people from NCIS LA have been on the show more than one time. So that puts NCIS and Hawaii Five-O in the same universe. Hawaii Five-O's first season coincided with season eight of NCIS. And Dead Air, I think, is episode five of season eight. So you're still within a month of Steve landing in Hawaii. So in a lot of ways, it is an easy thing to do. If you're going to pull Tony from NCIS and the way you approach dead air, if if that's your approach, mothership is a very possible um, consequence because those two shows line up so perfectly at that moment in time. Okay, Dead Air is episode five. It um, it airs in October. Um, Hawaii Five O started in September of the same year. So Hawaii, Steve goes to Hawaii in September. In October, Tony, hap, Dead Air happens. So it's really easy to send Tony to Hawaii, and Steve is already there. So. I'm not saying that you have to go that route, but somebody asked, is Mothership you know, going to come out of this? And there is a solid possibility of that because of the perfect lineup of, of canon timing. There's no fudging needed to have Steve already be in Hawaii. And not even all that settled into his task force yet when this happened. I mean, he's a month into his task force when these events occur. Now, I posted a big rant many moons ago about <laughs> dead air. Actually, it's actually called 
it's actually it's actually dead air is in the title of the rant on my website. And the reason was because um, someone wrote me about um, the journey home, which doesn't dwell on dead air, but dead air is uh, shortly after dead air is where the show where the the show the story starts, and it deals with fallout from dead air and how Tony feels about. And I did kind of downplay how Tony would feel about that whole situation, but it still deals with it. Um, and somebody wrote me and told me that that um, that the story was great, basically, more or less, except that McGee and Ziva wouldn't do that, and that I had ruined their suspension of disbelief, basically, by putting them so out of character. <laughs> yeah, I, I got annoyed. Um, and there is, and I've had that more than once. It's sort of like I should ignore that. And it's, I think there's the people who are sick of dead air are sort of like, I'm tired of these dead air stories. Why can't you people just pretend like it didn't happen? Because we don't want to. And honestly, if you're sick of dead air stories, quit reading them. <laughs> That's a really simple solution right? to your problem. But then there's the people who aren't familiar with the canon who or who only watched early seasons, and they read these stories, and they come out and they go, oh, um, uh, this, the Mike, Ziva and, and McGee, especially McGee, wouldn't do that. I'm like, but they did do it. So we can have the debate about whether or not it was good characterization to write them doing that. No. But the fact is, is that it is the canon, and you don't get to change it just because you don't like it. I mean, you do. The writers writers do it all the time. They don't like something, they leave it out. But I'm saying that as a reader or as anybody in the fandom, you can't just say that an event didn't happen because you didn't like it. The can You can't just alter, literally alter the canon and make it disappear. You can write a story where those events didn't happen, but you can't say that it didn't happen on the show. Because it fucking did. I own that season of NCIS. I can prove it. Okay. You can go first because I need to turn my fan on <laughs> before I fucking expire. So I'm going to mute myself. Um Wait, wait, wait. What am I doing? Am I doing a variation? I'm going to tell you. Okay. Okay, I can't tell me it. Dead air variation. Tony and Gibbs switch places during the surveillance, but Tim and Ziva don't know. Huh, okay. 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 I'm going to mute myself and turn my fan on. So that's kind of evil, doing this to Gibbs. Um, so I think so. I, I think that it would have to be something that is relatively um, benign as to why. Well, it wouldn't have to be, but I would probably do something relatively benign that maybe Abby is listening also to the feed back at HQ and running the voice prints while they're being collected. So maybe it's being transmitted. Um, And Gibbs hears that Tony's getting a little bit hoarse. Or he just decides to go check. The plot device of getting Gibbs out there to check on them is a little bit nebulous in my mind right now. But get Gibbs out there. He goes to where Tony is. And he just kind of intercepts them. They have a conversation. And he says, look, I'm going to take over. 
you go back to whatever. Um, you go back to NCIS. Gibbs, it could also be that Gibbs needs Tony to do something specific and he needs Tony for it. That would actually probably be a really natural way to get Tony back without interfering with um, the thing is Gibbs needs something that's very specific to Tony's skill set and he doesn't want to interrupt the op So and the voice print because it's critical. So he just goes out there prepared to swap out with Tony. Um, and get Tony back to switch switch out to take the car, go back, and he's going to finish getting the voice prints. Um, I'm thinking that um, I would have Gibbs... Um, I'm thinking I would have him say something over the... Um, Mike that he needs a reaction to and he doesn't get it and he would call um, when he continues to not get a reaction um, and maybe Abby texts him, sends him a text and said yeah I heard you Um, I don't know why Ziva and McGee aren't responding, he calls or he goes to the car actually I think that's what I would do I think I'd have him go to the car and tap on the window and scare the crap out of them and realize that they haven't been listening. And, of course, I think that you'd have to... The the interesting thing is I think that Ziva and McGee would be horrified, instantly horrified, that they... um, left him without backup out there, and they'd be apologizing. And actually, I think I'd probably have McGee be the one who say, we didn't ever turn this down off. We know you were out here. And I think that would make Gibbs even angrier to hear the instant double standard that they would not put his life in jeopardy. And so on some level, they recognize what they're doing, even though they kind of blow it off. Um, but... Um, yeah, so there's some comments in the chat room about Gibbs being funny, Gibbs doing the interviews. Gibbs was an undercover agent for um, years years before he um, took started and working criminal investigations for NCIS. So how even if he, he got, how many women has he got down the aisle? Yeah, so he's got Four. some skills. Even if he chooses not to employ them anymore, so I I actually I think it's kind of funny, but I think that he definitely has the skill to take over and do the voice prints. Um, and you can't discount his looks either. Yeah, he's an attractive older man. Um, he's, got, he's got a great smile. I mean, give, I mean kids, Mark Harmon's got a beautiful smile. Kids like him. Kids like him. They respond to him really positively. That's canon. Um, women respond very positively to him in canon. And that's mostly what's going to be home at that time of day. You're going to see a lot more women and children at home than you're going to see. Pick up on the door and say, hello, children, silver be, fox. <laughs> yeah. As many Are you just trying for to you? Get, he's going to have no trouble getting people, women trying to get him to come inside and check out their <laughs> – you want to check out the layout of the houses? I can show you. <laughs> Did you um, want a guided tour? Because <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that Michael Weatherly is the same way. He's very attractive. Um, and so um, – that kind of thing, that kind of physical appearance goes a long way. I mean, it can it can put you at di- at ease. It's very disarming. I mean, that's how Ted Bundy. No offense, no offense to Mark Harmon, but that's how Ted Bundy 
<laughs> managed to yeah, get Mark. so many victims because he was very attractive in that time period. He looked like what women wanted, and he preyed on that. So I think Gibbs could have, wouldn't have a problem um, um, doing the voice prints. And he probably knows that aside from Tony, he's the best choice. To get the voice prints, because McGee, he he knows he knows his team's strengths and weaknesses. Ziva's too abrasive to get people to be cooperative, and McGee is too timid. And I think there's a chance that McGee could probably get made really easily and wind up getting arrested as some, you know, peeping tom charge. Yeah. Also, McGee doesn't have the air of somebody who would live in that neighborhood. So it people people absorb things subconsciously that they aren't processing. Um, in the front of their mind, they don't realize, and it it, it, cre- it sets up red flags, and you respond negatively or positively to people. And you can't have somebody in a neighborhood like Royal Woods, which was very upscale, who doesn't seem like they fit, um, to have it be believable. I mean, yes, of course, there's there's definitely stereotyping going on, but that's reality. It's when you seem like you don't fit in the neighborhood where you're, you know, trying to do undercover work, people are going to be instantly suspicious. Like that dude that came to my door selling security systems. Um, I answered the door, and um, I have a uh, security door. Um, And uh, he offers me this big, cheesy-ass grin and says, you want to open the door so we can have a conversation face-to-face? And I was like, nope. I most surely do not. talking to you about... um, 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 recent crime spot in your area and several of your neighbors have had their houses broken into. I said, oh yeah, which ones? Because I know most of my neighbors and I haven't seen cop cars or anything. Oh, you know, I don't really like to go into specifics. And um, I said, I already actually have a security system, but more importantly, I got a big dog. And he was (laughs) like, but his dog isn't a security. I said, hey, Cisco. And he come around the corner and Cisco, um, was in his um, big weight for the year because he fluctuated depending on the temperature. And he had his full winter coat, so he looked about like 90 pounds a dog. <laughs> Even if he was only about 75, but, you know, fluffy because um, huskies are fluffy. And he comes over and he sits down beside me and he cocks his head at that guy. And that guy backed up a little bit because, why don't you put your dog away? It's making me nervous. And I said, well, get off, um, get off my dog's lawn. <laughs> <laughs> That's his. You're on it. This is our house. And he left. But he made me deeply uncomfortable. He he um there was something about him. Um yeah. I do feel like he was um investigating my security situation for um future access. And you pick up on subtle clues, people who are too eager in some way or um there's a book called um Nonfiction here, folks. It's called The Gift of Fear, and it's about um, the book is about um, instances where people followed their impulses when all the words were saying you're okay, but their lives were actually in danger because they were following that sense of them. Pro- they're processing things that they don't know that they're noticing, and it tells them be afraid of this person, and we turn our um, rational mind off to those impulses. And the book is talking about how to pay attention to your fear and what it's trying to tell you. And it's very it's, it's an interesting read. 
Um, it probably saved some people's lives. But it, my point is that people process things about people. And, it, and the way Gibbs is portrayed on the show, people are going to instinctively respond positively to him. Because even if he's pretending that he's buying a home, he projects probably safety to a lot of people, safety and protection. And that that goes a long way um, towards smoothing out interaction. Where somebody like McGee um, radiates something more like nerves. And Ziva is going to radiate um, danger. Threat. Threat. She's going to radiate threat. Um, so... How so? You, so I think that you have. That's why when they had the in that episode when they had the undercover moment with the actual terrorist cell, it was Ziva who went undercover. I'm not saying it's not that Tony. I don't think couldn't convey threat if he wanted to, but it's instinctive. It's almost natural for Ziva to be threatening. And Gibbs knows his people. He's going to assign them appropriately. So I think that if Gibbs has to pull Tony in, and I'd have to work on what it was that Gibbs was pulling Tony to do, but if Gibbs has to pull Tony in to do something that is unique to his skill set, it's logical that Gibbs would be the person to replace him in the field in this situation in that kind of neighborhood. Now, well, you don't, it doesn't have to be work-related. Yeah, it could be personal. Tony could get Gibbs could get notified that Tony has something personal he has to deal with. Senior died. Oh, so sad. Oh. Huh, I like that idea way too much. And he would have to go out. He he wouldn't call Tony and tell him that. He would go to him and say, hey, um, your desk phone rang. Dalboa picked it up or whatever. And um, Senior passed away. He had a heart attack. And um, so we need you to, um, you're going to have to, and I'll take over here. <laughs> and he's assuming that Tim and Ziva are listening to this. Because they should be. Right, because they should hear it all. And so, and then from there, how, I think one of the things, one of the things that there is a lot of um, variability in how people handle dead air is how Gibbs reacts. And from, oh, we're going to sweep it under the rug, you know, you don't get to make a big deal out of this, to firing McGee and Ziva and possibly even trying to pursue criminal charges against them. So that's kind of the the breadth of possible reactions we see from Gibbs. And depending upon how you twist Gibbs, you can make almost anything in that spectrum work. Um, I tend to prefer to write Gibbs being... Um, angry about the situation that because he's been military and he's been law enforcement so long that he understands the depth of the betrayal that this is and that he would react very negatively. It's a huge betrayal. I mean, I don't know. One of the possible things that buzzes around in my head, because there's like different ways you can, consequences of dead air you can have uh, in terms of Tony. You can have nothing happens to Tony and he has to deal with the, uh, the fallout from the betrayal. You can have Tony gets hurt and he has to deal with the fallout from the betrayal. You can have Tony gets killed, and everybody else has to deal with the fallout of the betrayal. So there's there's different levels with just Tony. But then when you take Tony out of the equation, things you, there's all different ways to shake the thing out. But when it comes to um, 
I think Gibbs would understand because it is such a it is such a, an unbelievable betrayal when you think somebody is listening to you and they're not, and they're supposed to be there if you get hurt and they never show up. That even if you don't get hurt, I don't. I don't know how somebody in law enforcement would get past my backup deliberately turned off the sound. So one of the ideas I've always had rattling around in my head with Tony is that he can't get past it and that he has to leave law enforcement because he cannot get past that broken trust. Um, but that's a separate plot drift, so let me just I'll, I'll come back to that some other time. But in terms of for, for this plot drift, um, the, the way I think, the times I think Gibbs is more likely to skew away from um, being angry or to try to push down his anger and how he would normally react to the situation is if there are consequences, negative consequences to Abby. And that's usually the way I um, turn him in a way that isn't favorable to his character. Um, is if, if, if Abby is at risk, is it he chooses her over Tony? And he wants Tony not to make a fuss about it. And that's sort of what I set up in a EAD that I did. Um, uh, this, there's a snippet called Impetus where, that's um, well, not a snippet, I don't know, it's like 5,000 words, I think, where Gibbs doesn't want Tony to really do anything because Abby is going to have consequences. Um, and I think that that is consistent with Gibbs' character that he gets morally flexible when, especially the women in his life, are um, or somebody he owes is, are are in trouble. So you see him making bad decisions around Mike Franks, around Jenny, um, around his dead, his mother-in-law. So. I think that's very in character for Gibbs, but I think that by having this happen, by setting it up so that this is happening to Gibbs in the field and he's finding out about it in the field, there's no chance for Abby to get in trouble. So Gibbs is not going to be divided in terms of who he's trying to protect. Now there is the issue of Ziva, but we're already at the point in the series where Gibbs knows that Ziva killed Ari on orders. That's revealed in season... Seven, I think. Yeah, early season seven. Vance tells Gibbs that Eli David ordered Ziva to kill um, Ari to get close to Gibbs. So they had that discussion in season seven. So I've always figured that the protective, you saved my life, that bond thing shattered a little bit in that moment with Ziva. I don't, actually don't know why Gibbs ever let her back on the team, but um, I don't think he was ever... Rating. Yeah, but I don't think that he was ever as protective of her after that moment because of that reveal that 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 the whole basis for their initial bond was a setup on her part that she was playing him. Um, he, he was her mark. What if? Okay, Gibbs has taken Tony's place. In canon, Tony talks to the killer, gets away with it. Tony's easygoing and um. Got a glib smile, and he looks like a frat boy, and he's not. He can be threatening. He can look threatening, but he's not ex-military, and it doesn't look like it. What if Gibbs knocks on his door? Hmm. 
he might be able to charm a woman, but you get someone who's already a part of a terrorist organization, they're paranoid, and you've got somebody on your front porch with military bearing. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to make him uptight. What if he shoots Gibbs and Abby hears it? Because Abby's listening. That um, That's your setup already, that Abby's listening. Um that was, but I, that was the setup. That was one of the possible ways of getting Gibbs out there. But if Gibbs goes out for another reason, Abby doesn't necessarily have to be listening, but she certainly can be. If you, the thing is, is that she's probably too much angst to put on Tony at the same time. But if you have him, Gibbs take Tony's place because he's in the, the, Abby's lab and he hears his voice getting hoarse. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna go out and take his place and um, send him back, and he can. Um, be on this end of things, you know, mm-hmm. do whatever. Um, just for just for because it's making him essentially sick. He can start the background checks or whatever. Yeah, and um, he takes Tony's place. Tony's in the lab with Ziva. They're listening, doing their thing. He's doing background checks, whatever, and um, Gibbs gets shot. Tony'd lose his mind. He would lose his mind. I know, that's the best part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is literally the best part. Because they'll never see him coming and neither one of them take him seriously as is, obviously. says he goes and shoots him and Ziva. I think he'd be tempted, but I don't think he'd actually do it. Yeah, I think any 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 facade of geniality would be gone in those in, in that instance because Tony was so loyal to Gibbs, um, and so was Abby. Above anybody else, everybody was more loyal to Gibbs than they were to each other, which is actually to anyway a critical. Yeah, it's actually a critical flaw in the team. But anyway, that's a, that's an aside. Um, that's so an entirely different plot put, drift. Yeah, all of them are, are going to put Gibbs above um, any other consideration. Because um, one of the spins I often do with Abby with Dead Air stuff is that she thinks that Tony should let it go so the team can stay intact, that she's just trying to preserve the family and she's not thinking about And she's not law enforcement, so she doesn't really understand what she's asking to her, she's just asking Tony to let it go. Um, and she's being spoiled and not even trying to see his point of view. But anyway, so I think in this case that wouldn't even come up because I think Abby would be that angry. She'd be just as angry as Tony. But then the question becomes, if he gets shot, I think Tony would immediately dispatch... Um, Um, DCPD. Um, actually, they're in Virginia, so it'd be the. I think they're in some. They're they're not. They're they're somewhere in Virginia, but it, it was very close to to DC. So I, they're probably in Alexandria or Falls Church or, you know, I my guess would be Alexandria, maybe Crystal City or something like that. But anyway, so 
I think he'd immediately get the local police, uh, probably maybe Arlington police, if that's your, the jurisdiction or the sheriff, whoever handles unincorporated areas out there. And they would, he, he, cause he, Tony, you've got to know that Tony knows people in every local PD. He just has to. Because he's, he's, he's the, um, um, he's the Gibbs buffer. He's the Gibbs buffer with the police, with the local Leos. So he, he knows all of these guys. So he's going to have local police out there. And he's not going to hear Tim and Ziva coming over the, the radio, um, responding to Gibbs being hurt. And that's when he's going to reach out. He's going to be in, um, in, um, en route to the scene and probably trying to reach um, McGee and Ziva. And they're going to be, what's the problem? Why are you bugging us? Why aren't you finishing? Aren't you done with the voice prints yet? And clearly he's going to know right away that they haven't been listening. So he should just hang up on them and send a cop to arrest them. <laughs> <laughs> just click. Send Balboa to arrest them. Because if he gives them any warning, um, they might be able to destroy some kind of evidence in the car to, to make it look like they weren't responsible for what happened. Yeah, there's that's an interesting, there's something that comes up sometimes in dead air stories where Ziva and McGee's um, rationale for, they say, when they try to, to deny that they had turned the sound off, this is, I think, in stories they tried to deny that they had turned the sound off, they say that they didn't know why they weren't hearing Tony's voice. But the thing about that sort of refinement is the minute Tony stops talking, the minute they stop hearing him, the minute he stops feeding them locations where he's going, they should be checking. Their, if, they, if they were listening, if there was an equipment malfunction, because the equipment malfunction thing can only fly for about a minute in that kind of situation because Tony's talking too much. Because every time he leaves a location, in, in theory, what he should be doing is when he's far enough away to not be heard if he feeds in the address he's moved to next. Because otherwise they don't know what voices go with which houses if Tony isn't giving location IDs as he goes. Right. So they should never have more than 30 or 40 seconds of literal dead air of Tony not speaking. And Tony's the kind of person who's going to be talking constantly. So the idea that they would be able to claim that they didn't know why they weren't hearing him or they had an equipment malfunction is in that kind of situation. An equipment hours. Hours. An equipment malfunction only flies for about 30 seconds in that kind of in that kind of scenario because when they haven't heard his voice for about 30 seconds, means that it means they don't know where he is. And that's a problem. And they don't know, if they don't know where he is and they're not hearing his voice, they don't know that he's being recorded. So equipment malfunction doesn't fly. It just doesn't make logical sense. Nobody's going to believe that as an excuse because if they go more than a few seconds without hearing him, they should be calling him and going, we need to report back to the car. We have an equipment malfunction. We need to fix it because we don't know that we're getting a recording because we're not hearing you. And there's no point in him being out there if they aren't getting recordings. Right. So there's a, when, you, when you start looking at the logical continuity of the excuse, we had an equipment malfunction, it just doesn't fly because, well, you knew you weren't hearing his voice, so how could you claim an equipment malfunction? Um, well, they break their mics. Their mics have nothing to do with it. Their mics, their, yeah, their the mics have it's, nothing to do with it. it, it, it their, their mics aren't the problem. It's the recording inside the car that's the problem. 
and the dead air basically all around them because they're not paying attention. Yeah. And blank tapes, them erasing tape um, to pretend like the equipment wasn't working, that doesn't hold work either because, again, we're at, we're, we're at the – they weren't hearing him. Um, the equipment malfunctioned for two hours of two hours of blank tape. Well, why didn't they do anything if that was true, right? The, the recording didn't work. So when you start following through the possible excuses they could make for them not knowing Tony was in trouble or not knowing exactly where none. he was at any moment, you, nothing nothing follows through with what the job they were assigned to do. There's no There's no logical reason for them to have not known where Tony was for more than 30 seconds of silence. Because the minute he stops talking, there's a problem. Because they but don't even, know where he is. Even in that 30 seconds, he he is logically in between the house he just left and the house he's going to next. Yeah, and these aren't mansions. They're big houses, but they're not mansions. And it's not going to take somebody like Tony more than 30 or 45 seconds to get from one house to another Maybe a minute, and in that minute, he has to get far enough away from one house to feed the location of the next house because he has to have addresses to go with voice prints. And he usually, there's probably going to be a tag he has to give at the end of a house, like who he spoke to and some sort of information about who he spoke to. You know, Caucasian female, blonde. Evident. You know, five foot ten. He's going to have to get some information that is not obvious in terms of what's on the recording. And that all has to happen between houses. So there just isn't going to be silence. It just isn't going to happen. So, you know, the minute they, you know, we didn't know that what was going on, we had an equipment malfunction for two hours. It's just like the most ridiculous excuse for them to come up with. And equipment sabotage is also, they they all have logical continuity issues with, any any rookie um, in, 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 in investigator from the inspector general's office is going to be able to tear that those excuses apart. Anything over a minute, and they're do- and they're toast. A yep. malfunctioning equipment, mic, whatever, it lasts a minute. That's the that's their time frame for claiming there was an equipment problem. One minute. Anything over one minute is incompetence, negligence, and it's a crime. Yes. I mean, the thing is, if Gibbs gets shot, then you have Tony taking over, and Tony would suspend them both right away. Um, Firing somebody isn't super simple in that kind of situation. They would be suspended and there would be an investigation by the Inspector General of the Navy. Um, Although um, it's possible that it might get punted to the FBI if it was considered a crime because Gibbs got shot. Um, Because investigation of crimes against federal agents are all handled by the FBI. I think that it actually probably would meet the burden of a crime. Um, they would actually become accessories. Yeah, and and I I mean I've read stories where there's mention that like if another team has to take over, which is what would happen if you have two people immediately suspended because you don't keep them working no matter what. So if you have two people immediately suspended and one person in the hospital, you've got a team of one. 
So the, the case is going to get passed off. And when you have that kind of break in a case like that, it's a, there's a good chance, a very good chance, because they stopped that bomb by a matter of seconds in the show. Actually, they didn't stop the bomb. But they cleared the they, – they didn't have time to disarm the bomb in, in the episode. They, um, but they cleared the civilians away from it in enough time that nobody got hurt. So we're talking a matter of minutes of difference of them getting to the right location at the right time. And Giz getting shot could be the difference between that bomb going off and not because of the time it takes to hand and transition things off to another team. I don't know that you can actually blame them for the shooting because he would have gotten shot either way. No matter what, yeah. Um, and with their lead agent down with a bullet, would the case be transferred anyway? Yes. The, well, probably. I mean, Tony had been a lead agent before, so if he had a full team, it might not be that. They could probably pull a couple of TAD agents and um, – I mean, Tony had been an agent afloat by this point, and that's actually one of the more senior agent positions. I know that fandom and ends in the show treated agent afloat like it's some um, crappy low-level work, but it's actually one of the most senior positions in NCIS. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tony actually would have the credentials to lead the team, except that he's got no team. Right. So he could step into the lead agent position if if if. You know, half the team wasn't culpable in what had happened to their lead agent. So, um, now I think Vance would rightly probably expect Tony to stay on with the team that took it over. Um, to ensure to that, provide that, some continuity for the evidence, because that becomes an issue. Right. If they want to save the people, the best chance those people would have of being saved, those military families. Um, at that park, the best chance they would have of being saved is for Tony to stay on the case, even though Tony would want to be at the hospital. Um, He would need to stay on the case. So Ziva and McGee would be suspended, and Tony would have to work with whatever team took it on. Um, And I'd probably, I I don't want to, I just, if I, you know, I'm not going to want to blow up a bunch of families, so I would probably have it be that Tony, not probably would, I would I would have it be that Tony stayed on the case and that they did stop the bomb. Um, because I just, I mean, it, it's interesting from the perspective of what would the charges against Ziva and McGee be in that kind of situation where people died, but I just don't want to blow up kids, so. Well, I wouldn't the kind of situation is when you... Um, commit a felony and any death attached to that felony you become you become responsible for mhm like if somebody robs like if you commit an act of armed robbery and during the course of the armed robbery the person you were robbing drops dead of a heart attack you're guilty of murder even though that was not your intent because they died during the course of your crime it's murder. Um, John mentions it uh, in uh, the Iterum, where I have Weir kidnap Peter and um, Kate Heimat hire to go across the city, and Peter gets killed. 
and he accuses her of murder because during the course of her kidnapping, she got him killed? Yep. And that charge can range from, like, second-degree murder um, to criminally negligent homicide, which would be the the lesser charge, but that's still a murder charge. Um, is if through your negligence, um, through your neg- deliberately willful negligent actions, somebody got killed, so that would probably be the charge against Ziva and McGee, would be criminally negligent homicide. Um, that's still a murder charge. And they could still go away for life on something like that. But doing what they did, um, it, it had to have violated several, several felony laws federally. Um, which means that anything in, anything that happens during the course of their crime, Gibbs being shot, them losing the suspect, the suspect putting off a bomb, even if it, the bomb goes off somewhere else, not that park, um, or the FBI takes it over and they find the bomb makers before it can be set, but somebody on the FBI team gets killed, I think that there's an argument there that Tim and Ziva would be accountable for that. That everything that happened after that involving those terrorists, they have some culpability. I agree. I completely agree. Because if they had been on their game, they might have caught the person who shot Gibbs. Immediately. And and been able to, like, if they were, if they heard the, heard the confrontation... If they heard the conf- – because typically the way that would go down is there would be a confrontation of some, to some degree before Gibbs was shot. It wouldn't just be, oh, bang, you know, answer door, bang. The guy's going to have to react to Gibbs a little bit. So Gibbs is going to probably say some things that should be warnings to his backup because the guy's going to react squirrely a little bit. Gibbs would say something that should be a clue to his backup that there's a problem. But, of course, they don't hear yeah, we it. Gotta, and, we got a code red here, code red, code red. <laughs> Yeah, and so but they're, he. But they're not hearing it. And so he he thinks his backup is coming, and they're not, and then he gets shot. So. And I think Ziva and McGee would be horrified, horrified that they got their boss almost killed, and not even, not even cluing into the fact that. That the fact that they would have turned if they had, and I, I think I'd probably, I would definitely write where one of them would eventually say to Tony, "You should have told us that Gibbs had taken over." Like indignant, like that they were the injured party. Job, I wouldn't have had to fucking tell you. We thought <laughs> you heard. Why would we assume you hadn't heard? Really, like why would we assume you weren't doing your job? Yeah. How would we even think for a moment that you weren't doing your goddamn job? Because it really... Um, that episode really annoys the crap out of me. Uh, so, okay. Um, what if Abby is doing a live feed into her... Um, Lab, and she overhears Tim and Ziva turn off the feed 
in their car. Because I think she's recording them too. Because what if somebody comes by the car? That's an opportunity to get a voice print. Wouldn't you want it in that neighborhood? Yeah. Wouldn't yeah, you want to document all of it? Because this is a terrorist um, investigation. Everybody, yeah, everyone should be wired because out in that kind of situation, because any of them could be called upon to interact with, especially two people sitting in a parked car in a neighborhood like that. You know there's going to be some little old nosy lady come rapping on their window with a cane going, what are you doing sitting out in front of my house? I've got three of those in my in, in my direct line of vision from my front porch, and they certainly <laughs> would come knock on their door. They certainly would. Um, so they would be Mike too. And what if Abby hears this and thinks, okay, and she calls Gibbs and says, um, Tim and Ziva just turned the a feed off in the car. They're not listening to Tony. I've turned Tony's feed on so I can hear him, but he is essentially alone in the field. And he thinks he has backup. Richard loses his mind. Yes, he, loses he mind. Now, if you want to be evil Abby, you could have Abby um, call Tim and say, hey, you need to turn the feedback on because I'm recording you too, dumbass. <laughs> now, if you did that route, so if you did that there, so I think you've got one branch where Abby's good Abby, where she goes to Gibbs and says, you know. Or maybe she goes to Ducky. Because <laughs> I would not want to deliver that particular news to Gibbs. What if she can't? Even if I was Abby. She, what if she's worried and she can't find anybody and she has to go direct to the, straight to the director? Wouldn't she call Tony before she goes to the director? Well, maybe, but maybe. I would think that Abby would be trained not to, well, unless he's in jeopardy, which she might feel he's in and, jeopardy. And he would be in jeopardy because he is because in jeopardy. Because nobody's listening to him. Nobody's listening to him but her, and she is miles away, and he's looking for a fucking terrorist. His life is at risk. Yeah, I, his life is at risk. Because normally you wouldn't contact an undercover agent unless they were, and which is what he's doing at that point. He's undercover. So normally she, she just can't, she, she can't just call him. Yeah, she could send him... Um, and actually what she might do, what she could do, is she could grab another agent if she can't find Gibbs right away and send backup out for Tony. I don't think it would compromise his position because people have cell phones and people use them and people get phone calls. It isn't like he is in the middle of um, robbing a bank with a terrorist gang and he's part of the gang and he can't get a phone call. This is a dude supposedly roaming the neighborhood for his wife looking for a house. His wife's going to call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she, I think she Abby could reasonably call. call or text him, but I think in a situation where it's urgent, she would. But under normal circumstances, I don't think she would casually contact him when he was on an undercover con- assignment. So the fact right. that he, she would feel like he was in jeopardy um, would – I think that if if you're doing responsible, Abby, she would take immediate action. I, th- I, agree, I agree that she'd take immediate action to contact Tony and get him out of harm's way while she – went and notified 
Gibbs or whoever she could get a hold of. Or she could tell him, I'm dispatching, I'm going to find um, another team and send them out there to cover you. Because at that point, I mean, she might be clueless and say, I'm going to call give, I'm going to call Tennant's even tell them to turn their damn radios on. But I, I, Tony's not going to trust it at that point. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't continue trying to get voice prints on a domestic terrorist if I just heard that um, who shot somebody live on the radio. I wouldn't continue that, that exercise when I knew my, my backup had already turned off the radio once. No, I wouldn't either. Because it essentially boils down to attempted murder. Yeah. Well, it's definitely casual. It's definitely uh, criminal indifference. They are completely indifferent to whether he lives or dies when they did that. Is it criminal or is it depraved or is it both? It's depraved. Depraved indifference. It's depraved indifference. Yeah, that's the word. Depraved indifference would be what they did. I had this bunny once where. Um, Tony regularly gets kind of um, gets farmed out to do little undercover assignments for people um, mm-hmm. because he's known to be really good at it. And um, the team, ha- you know, he tells them, okay, you know, um, these are my signals. If you see me out with somebody um, and I don't acknowledge you and I see you and you know I see you, don't approach me because I could be undercover, you know, um, or, you know, if we do meet ca- by accident casually, and um, I'm going to give you this code word to say, okay, you need to go away because I'm actually undercover for the FBI or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So they all know these signals that they're supposed to, that he's supposed to use, and he gives every single one of them to Tim, and Tim um, thinks he's fucking around, not being serious, and he blows a 10-month operation that the FBI had going on purpose. Oh, my God. He ignores every single signal that Tony gives him. Um, and then he tries to blame Tony um, and my bunny. And Tony's like, did I not lay out all the signals for you? And Tim's like, yeah. And, he's like, did and you know, and the, and the FBI's like, well, we recorded the whole damn thing, so we have proof that he actually told you to go the fuck away five, six times. And you purposefully destroyed his cover and ruined a case that was ten months in, you know, in, um, in the making. Yeah, that's a good bunny. I like it. Because Tim's jealous. He didn't take um, Tony's outside work seriously. Because he thinks Tony's a dodo. Right. But also, wouldn't it have been really funny if Tim blew the frog up? Because... <laughs> oh, my God. Out, what if he's out and he sees Tony and um, Jean and walks up to them and... You know he's got his badge on and everything, and he's like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm Tim. I I, I work with Tony." <laughs> Just blow the whole thing wide open. <laughs> the director would want to kill him, even though she's doing an unsanctioned op and she cannot enact any form of retribution. Um, really, for what McGee did, she'd still want to kill him. He'd he'd be lucky if he ever 
got out of doing dumpster dives. It's so funny to think about, though. But the, but oh, my plot careful. bunny, yeah, it's um it's during the Vance years, and um I think that um I would have Vance trying to um defend Tim, saying you know what you know it, he didn't do anything wrong, he didn't realize you were undercover, you didn't do your part, and the FBI's like okay, because we got proof, we got tape, <laughs> because they're mm-hmm. mad. Cornell's furious, it's ruined his off. There's no there's no going back. You got to advance would try to defend that to the director of the FBI, and the man would lose his mind. It would be great. Because, you know, Vance, there's an interesting thing. There's something interesting that happens. There's something very telling in um, the episode where, the, where Michael Rifkin kills the, the ICE agent. You've got mm-hmm. the head of the CIA, the FBI, um, ICE, and um, I think – I think it's those three agencies, CIA, FBI, and one other agency, and SECNAV, not Vance. You've got three agency heads and the Secretary of the Navy, which tells you where Vance falls. In a way, they've kind of given you information about where Vance falls um, in the power structure above among, among the alphabet soup agencies, that it wasn't Vance sitting at that table playing poker with those other agency heads. It was the Secretary of the Navy. Right. There's an interesting thing when when um when I was doing my plotting for um um July for Catalyst, I was talking to Kira and I said, you know, one of the hard things I actually, you know, I really wanted to do the mothership. That was the thing, and I really and my my because my plot bunny was around Steve and Tony meeting over um, Steve's father's funeral. That really set my timeline. And it's really hard to avoid there because it occurs like a month after that. Um, and this show was going to, the, epi- the, the episodes were going to span quite a bit more than a month. And I said, but, you know, I really hadn't planned to do Dead Air again. Um, although I did have an interesting idea for um, how to take a different spin, a little bit different spin with Tony involved in Dead Air. But I was a little bit like, mm, I don't really want this summer to write a, another variation of Tony. He's been is betrayed by, by Ziva and... Um, McGee. So Kira says, well, why don't you turn the trope on its head? And I thought, but well, what, is, what, what would I do with that? What is turn the trope on its head? What would that be? What would that look like? And I'm going to be a terrible fic tease about episode four. Um, but what I decided to do was Tony winds up staying in Hawaii because they have there's – there's another event that occurs in Hawaii after Tony gets attacked – and he goes into the Pearl Harbor office, and he's working on this high-priority case with them. So he doesn't go back because the, the the special agent in charge in, in Pearl Harbor says to Vance, look, we need his help. He's here. Can we keep him? And Vance is like, sure, because an NCIS team gets killed. Anywho. And Vance don't like Tony anyway. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, yeah, keep him. I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you can have Genozo. So in the meantime, <laughs> they're a pair. So we see, yeah, keep them up. So we see a lot more of Nate in episode three. So Nate and Sarah, um, Tony's friends, are in Hawaii for most of episode three, um, and then Nate and they go back. So episode four comes along, and um, Gibbs gives Tony a call and says, "I need, I need. Who do you recommend for this undercover work at Royal Woods?" Um, and even though. Gibbs and Nate don't get along great. Tony says, "We well, need to give the assignment to give the son to Nate." Um, 
because um, Nate is a lot like me. He's really good. He's very natural with people. Um, you know, he's 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 had this kind of similar upbringing to me, so he's really going to be natural out in that environment. And gives it kind of like, eh. And he's like, yeah, I know you don't like him, but, you know, just he, you're not working with him. He's going to be out in the field, and he'll just do your voice prints, and then you'll get on with your life. Um, so Gibbs agrees, and he asks Nate, Balboa, if Nate can take this assignment. Um, now, what comes up in Episode 3, and it becomes a factor in Episode 4, is that Nate and Tony have this thing where they irritate the fuck out of each other with their hobby. And Tony, it's movie, movie references, and Nate is show tunes. So whenever t- Nate wants to annoy Tony, and so Tony actually can't speak for about three-quarters of the third, ep- third episode, and whenever Nate wants to annoy him, he starts singing show tunes at him, and Tony hates show tunes. So we get the show tune thing set up. So Nate, one of the ways he deals with, relates to people is he sings show tunes with them. So whenever like, he meets a little old lady, he sits down and sings cats with her or something. And it annoys the fuck out of Ziva and McGee. Because he's just like Tony, only in their mind worse. So they still turn the radio off on Nate. And Nate hears a, he sees something suspicious and he says over his mic as he's walking between houses, he asks McGee to run a plate and text him the results of the DMV search on on a license plate. And he doesn't get a response. So he says, I'd like you to call, you know, call me right now. So he, he calls. He calls McGee on the phone. He says, did you run that fucking plate? And McGee says, what the hell are you talking about? And that's when he finds out that they haven't been listening. And so Nate finds out on his own that McGee and Ziva aren't listening, and he goes nuclear because he realizes the symptom of how they feel about Tony kind of being extended to him, and in general is just, he goes, loses his mind. So he's not letting it go. He marches right back to that car. And he sits in that back seat with his arms crossed, not letting them touch that equipment, until Gibbs and Balboa get out there so that Balboa can take over the investigation. And Nate is not letting it go. He is going to raise holy fucking hell until those two are fired. And Tony, because it's his best friend, is much angrier than if it had happened to him much, much angrier. So when Kira said, turn it on its ear, I thought, well, I'll still have it happen, but Tony's not going to be involved at all. It's going to be somebody he cares about. And then we'll see the contrast about how he might have let something go if it happened to him, or at least not take it quite so seriously, even if it really was difficult. See him reacting appropriately because it happened to somebody else. And then that will be a whole moment for Tony to figure out that he needs to work on valuing himself more and blah, 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 blah. But so that's what came out of that discussion of turn the turn the trope on its ear and do something different with it was I decided to put somebody else out there. And it's, I think it's going to be interesting for, the, for, for that series, but um, it would, it's almost twice as, twice as fun to have it be Gibbs out there instead of Tony or Nate or somebody else. So that's more, that's not exactly plot drift. That's more like actual plot that I'm already writing. But, you know, it's thematic. I think Kira's on mute. I think she's cooling off. I'm not on mute. I'm not on mute. I'm just thinking about how fucking furious Gibbs would be. Oh, my God. Yes. 
so great. He's got me so mad. And Tony's going to lose his shit. He's going to completely lose his mind over the whole thing. And any attempt now, um, no, I won't spoil what the outcome will be for you guys. It's a terrible tease, I know. <clears throat> Okay, give me a scenario. Give you a scenario. Um, oh, um, hmm. It might not work. It might not work as a scenario because it requires some difficulty up front to get around. But it's something you mentioned earlier. What if JAG are the ones that have an issue with this? Because it does wind up in the transcript. You know, I was thinking about it, and I don't think that Abby would do her own transcription work. I don't think she would either. That's something you farm out. Mm-hmm. Their whole company's dedicated to that shit. So, it gets farmed out, and... My biggest, one of my biggest problems with the Dead Air episode is how Tony reacts to them saying it. Yeah, that's a bitter pill. It's a bitter pill. I mean, don't you value your life, dude? It makes you realize that he actually doesn't. No, he doesn't. Um, And nobody else does either. It's like a, it's like a, it's just, it's a trained response. Kind of like back that ass up, but, um, he's been, he's been trained to not value himself, um, for a very long time because it's not even like overt, it's, it's subversive training because his, his parents didn't value him. Um, his father specifically didn't value him. Um, his partner in Baltimore didn't value him because um, he was a dirty cop and on the take. Uh, the woman he almost married didn't value him. Um, he's uh, he has a hot and cold relationship with Gibbs. It's um, and not to mention the the ugly slant his relationship with um, Kate truly took in canon. I mean, you can gloss over it and you know just look at her good parts, but Kate was kind of a bitch. Especially with Tony. I mean, she's like all of her bitchy came out with him. Uh, You know, Mike Franks isn't um, the problem. It's Gibbs' reaction to Mike Franks that's the problem. Mike Franks is actually one of the most consistently written characters in NCIS. Mm -hmm. He's a dick, full stop. And Tony always hates him. And he's never not a dick. But when he injures Tony and Gibbs lets him get away with it, Gibbs is the problem. Mm-hmm. Gibbs is always the problem when it comes to um, Kate, to Franks, to Ziva, to McGee. It is a culture of... It's permissive. It's um, Gibbs doesn't call them on their behavior. He he never ever calls them on their behavior 
towards Tony. So he has this um this I don't want because because the thing is is I think that um written genuinely that Gibbs is supposed to have a great deal of value in Tony, but in in action it's missing a lot of the time, and mm-hmm. um. After, especially after the explosion and his memory problems and all that stuff, and he started to view Tony as more of a um, a threat to his place at NCIS rather than um, his partner. And it is a it is a pervis a a, a, a a permissive environment where he is um, striving to put Tony in his place and allowing others to do it with him. And that and that really it it kind of expands out, and you see other characters doing the same thing. It's um it's it is very abusive. Um, even Ducky, um, tactically agrees with um Gibbs when Gibbs calls Tony. Uh, what's he call him? He calls him a narcissist. Uh, he says he has, yeah he says that he's got a narcissistic personality disorder. He didn't just call him a narcissist. He actually, they're talking about narcissistic personality disorder, and um, they then they made the joke about knowing somebody like that, and they were talking about Tony. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, is that if there's any single person in the NCIS universe that's a narcissist, it's Gibbs. Look yeah. it up. A lot of people display narcissism at various points in time in certain situations, but it doesn't make them a narcissist. Gibbs is definitely a narcissist. And Ducky, actually, it's interesting that those two have that conversation because both of them are closer to the definition of narcissist than Tony is. Right. I mean, I like Ducky a lot, but he's more of a narcissist than Tony is. Gibbs has the full spectrum. Mm-hmm. He's selfish he is um his morals are um arbitrary uh he doesn't think anybody has the right to make the rules but him he expects you to follow his rules without question he doesn't tolerate uh any authority over him with any sort of grace he gaslights he manipulates he lies i think i just talked myself into a no TP. <laughs> Hello, but, you know, er, earlier <laughs> earlier in the in the series he wasn't as bad. So right. um like the uh, one of the um one of the classic features of narcissistic personality disorder is the overinflated sense of self-importance. And we really see that hugely in later seasons, especially around that whole crap with Harper Deering and the, the guy who blew up um, NCIS headquarters. Mm-hmm. Gibbs' sense of self-importance was so... But, I mean, the show, in a way, fed that, too, that everything was always about Gibbs. Everything was always about Gibbs. Ari was about Gibbs. Harper Deering was about Gibbs. Everything was like Jenny and all of her shit was about Gibbs. I mean, it's just always about Gibbs. And... um And the, the, the taking advantage of other people to get your own way, that's definitely, Gibbs does that without any 
remorse at all. He uses whatever he has to to get what he wants done. So I think and, and the, free the, the explosion, he's he's better. Yes, it's a lot easier to write Tony and Gibbs in a pairing pre Mexico. Um, but after that, I mean, Gibbs just got really abusive, um, and he got abusive in a way that a narcissist would be abusive. Um, no, not the greater good, the Gibbs good. Because it's only about good. Gibbs. Because letting Mike Franks get away with killing somebody is not about the greater good. Letting his mother-in-law get away with killing somebody, not for the greater good. Um, that is just about his own personal agenda. It's all got to be about him. That's right. That was a tangent. Okay, what was my scenario again? Your scenario was that it doesn't come up until... Um, okay. Not, but the scenario is that it's not dealt with at NCIS until JAG gets a hold of the transcript. Because that that Tony may not be there anymore. So I'm, that's up to you. You're, you're adrift. But the hard part about that scenario, and I knew it when I said it, was what do you do with Tony? Because either you make him sort of like dealing with it or gone, and those are really your choices. I'm going to go with blackmail. Blackmail. Okay. I like blackmail, yeah. especially if Tony's doing the blackmailing. Tony gets a recording of Ziva and Tim turning off the radio in the car. And he takes it upstairs to Vance puts it on the desk and tells him to listen to it. And Vance listens to it and Tony sits down and said, So I'd like to be the special agent in charge in Honolulu. <laughs> There's an opening <laughs> at Pearl Harbor, and I want it. And Vance is like, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to Pearl Harbor. He settles in. He's fine. Months later, Jag is preparing um, the case um, in... Um, in tangent with um, the FBI, Cornell um, uh, probably like a, like a state attorney or something probably or federal would attorney. Be a state attorney probably a, probably state a federal attorney? prosecutor probably a federal prosecutor since it was since the terrorism I think crossed state lines federal probably a federal, yeah. federal, federal so prosecutor. the FBI and federal prosecutor are preparing the case with NCIS and um, yeah, I know that Honolulu and Pearl Harbor are on the same island. I'm aware. It's wa- it's Wahoo. I was being facetious. <laughs> Cause I, just, just, I actually actually did watch Hawaii Five-0, the new the, the the old version and the new one <laughs> for a while <laughs> for a while. So I'm aware of all those little islands and um, all that stuff. I just I was being an asshole because um, I like the idea of Tony telling Gibbs he wants to go to Honolulu. <laughs> it, it's cute. <laughs> Not as cute as Wahoo. Wahoo's kind of cute too, though. But Honolulu is is adorable. Can you just see him pursing his lips as he says it? Yes. I want to go to Honolulu. <laughs> I love Jack Lord. I loved him. I love Jack Lord. Anyways, so um, the transcripts go through, and all of Vance's. Um, 
ability to keep Tim and Ziva off the chopping block um, disappears. Because Jack because goes, now the, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> well, be, like, like you said, it, it'd, be, it'd be the federal prosecutor. Um, um, federal prosecutor, FBI, probably um, um, whoever's involved, you know, whoever's the head of uh, uh, terrorism and um, who would have helped prepare the case for prosecution. And um, okay, you could make this epically embarrassing by having the Joint Terrorism Task Force um, review the case. Joint, oh, that's lovely. Because it's a case of domestic terrorism. And or, so when you talk about team people who might take interest in the case, you got the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Um, what about Team One of the Behavioral Analysis Unit? They focus on terrorism, and they would want to profile any um, terrorist groups operating in the United States to add to their matrix of um, profiles. So. There's a lot of oh, but, oh, but wouldn't it be more awesome if the defense saw it before anybody else did? Like nobody, like it was just it just hadn't come up. Nobody had had read the entire transcript. That would be. Awesome. They read the parts that were relevant to them, and some defense attorney sees it and says, "Hey, did you see this?" <laughs> yeah, some of those guys, some of those because guys are wealthy, so I they're going to have good attorneys. I think we might have leverage to have a plea deal, and suddenly, Zim and Ziva and Tim—I just zimmed them. Zim, um, Zim, Zim. <laughs> you did a name. I did by accident. Zim has managed to. Um, create a situation where domestic terrorists are going to get a plea deal to avoid embarrassing basically everybody. That could get Vance fired. Oh, yeah. I probably would get Vance fired, especially if those two were still on the job. Because whoever, the federal prosecutor, would become coming into NCIS and Maybe the first person he runs into is McGee, and he knows the name. He's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I work here. And he's like, what? How could you possibly work here? (laughs) Invader Zim, absolutely. I think that's great, Invader Zim. That's totally the the dumb duo's code name, Invader Zim. Um... Because yeah. that would be the horrifying part, right? Is that all of these groups find out about this in a fairly short period of time? You got the defense attorney bringing it up, bringing it before the judge. You've got the federal prosecutor and the FBI looking at it, and then they find out that the two people who committed this big breach of procedure are still at NCIS working, and, and no mention and of this in their employee records anywhere. It, 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 no, nobody, no internal NCIS. investigation. Only Vance knows about it.
I think that would be awesome. I think that would be absolutely awesome. You call that fit. Vance gets screwed. <laughs> the other side of it is if... Um, so you don't think that Jag would be the prosecutor on this? Um, it depends upon um, how many military people... Jag would be involved to a degree, I think, but um, if there were any of the members of the cell were military, then Jag might be might be involved um, because they would have to prosecute any military members. But that part wasn't completely clear. But because I mean it's crimes against the military, but because um, it, it, the crime was um, primarily committed by civilians, um, I think they'd have to turn it over to a federal prosecutor. I'm writing. Okay. Um, I kind of view um, Morrow like Hammond and Vance like Landry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Jenny like Bad Weir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jenny's definitely bad weir. Um, crazy batshit weir, which I really enjoy writing more than I probably should. Um, uh, but, um, yeah. And I think that Morrow has that ability, too. I think Morrow would have had no problems bringing Gibbs to um, to heal if needed. you know. And Gibbs didn't push the envelope with him as much as he did Vance and Shepard. No, definitely not. I mean, they 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 established in those episodes about Vance's history um, that Vance and Gibbs Gibbs was was a more senior agent than Vance. So there's a little bit I think of I think they 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 kind I think they showed that because they wanted to kind of undermine Vance's position as director. Um, Gibbs has been around longer. He was a senior agent when when Vance was a rookie and was getting in trouble, and Eli Dezid pulled his bacon, you know, his, 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 uh, fat from the fryer. Um, and so I, I, and I actually, I find that to be annoying, um, from a writing perspective because it's like they're, it's like the intention there was to be that somebody can't, um, younger can't, who is a junior agent to Gibbs, can't take the place of director and get Gibbs respect. It really, it really says negative things about Gibbs that they set up that dynamic that way. And it's deeply um, unfortunate that the character is black as well. Yes, I agree. Because it implies other things as, um, as well, um, not, not just his neg- age. Yeah, it implies a lot of negative things about, about Gibbs that he doesn't respect Vance. Um, and the fact that they may and, – and maybe they didn't mean to do it, to set it up that way to where they showed that Vance was a more junior agent than Gibbs in, in the agency, but it still came off that way as that was as, as being that was part of the rationale for Vance's, I mean for Gibbs's disrespect. Um, so he was not the only the only director he he was really respectful to was Tom Morrow. And when Morrow told him to do something, even if he didn't like it, he did it. But Morrow also gave him a, a lot of lead and let him do. 
Gibbs holds himself morally superior to Vance. Mm-hmm. Well, at least Gibbs isn't going to throw every every case that he's ever touched out of the water because he's not who he says he is. Right. So, in a way, there's probably a little bit of basis for that, but um, it's like if Gibbs couldn't deal with that contradiction, then he needed to make make sure that Vance stepped down. Because the reality of that kind of thing with Vance is it would never see the light of day. You know, it would get it would get the Inspector General of the Navy, and it would get buried, and Vance would be gone, and he would be told retire, and they'd get a new director. But it would never become public because right. there's too much risk. There's too much risk in letting that kind of information be known. That there's a, a that a, a level of fraud in the agency that could undermine every single case. And especially, um, although he he worked as an investigator, plus all the cases that he was involved in missions um, as a director. Right. Because the buck stops with him in the federal agency. So everything that took place underneath him since he became director and when he was associate director somewhere else, because he had to have been um, to get the job that he got, um, wherever they are, the deputy director, whatever they are, is now so circumspect and mm-hmm. open to discussion. Mass murderers, rapists, terrorists—you name it. Yeah, he was, he was assigned to. I believe Vance was in San Diego uh, as the deputy director before he was. Um, so he was Owen. He was in Owen's place. I think so. So it's um. Vance is is a big liability to the agency with the fraud that he's got going on in his life, um, and he so so it doesn't matter. So Gibbs knowing that it's lever they they have this push pull leverage between the two of them going on, but if Gibbs ever tried to expose it to utilize that leverage, um, it would never be able to be used in a way that could publicly harm the agency. They would both get retired over their leverage on each other. Pretty um, damn quick. And told to just keep their mouths shut for the rest of their lives if they didn't want to be in prison. I think any it would of that got anybody out. Anybody who knew or anybody who, um, you're right about the security clearances, because um, shit doesn't just roll downhill, it rolls aggressively downhill. Mm hmm. And really, even the person who hired him would be on the block. Here's the thing about Gibbs sniping that guy in um, in Mexico. They might know it. Proof is iffy. But here's the kicker. The statute of limitations on that crime's already expired. Is there a statute of limitations on murder in Mexico? Yes. It's oh, 20 years. That's interesting. Because Vance, Vance, Vance actually has the proof, and he's the one who buried it. No one knows where it is but Vance. Um, he buried it in, I want to say, the spider on the fly is where he finally – so he's the only one who knows where it is. He didn't get rid of it. He didn't destroy it. He buried it in another box of evidence in the NCIS archives. 
So the report is there, and Vance is the only person who knows where it is conceivably because he just put it in a random box. Well, even if they could put Gibbs' weapon in Mexico, they have to be able to put him in Mexico with the weapon. Right. So it, it, it's, so they can prove that, it, that the bullet who, that killed Pedro Hernandez came from Gibbs' sniper rifle. It doesn't necessarily prove that Gibbs was the one who pulled the trigger. Um, but even if they could get past that with a jury, because of what Gibbs has on Vance, that that would never go anywhere. And so they, you know, even if the Inspector General of the Navy were to investigate this or it actually even went to the FBI, the whole thing would get buried because Gibbs knows where all the bodies are buried. So they would it's retire mutually them. insured destruction is what it, it is. It totally is. They'd it's retire them both. They would totally re- retire them both, and that would be the end they'd both be told to shut up if they didn't want to go to jail. Because if Gibbs tries to reveal what he knows, they've got leverage on him. So Vance and Gibbs would both be retired quietly, and they would, that would, and then the agency would have to pick up the pieces. What a nightmare. <laughs> yes. Mexican standoff is actually fairly appropriate and a bit ironic <laughs> in that situation. <laughs> I do like the idea of Tony just going, I'm out. <laughs> this is what like, I want. Oh, fuck this. Fuck this. I just can't deal. Because I'd had a, I had a plot bunny. Because of, like, of the, because we talked about there's variations about what are the possible things that could happen. And we've, we've all read stories that run, the, I think there's two or three where Tony actually dies. They're all complete heartbreakers. Um, oh, I hate the one where he dies and, and Gibbs retires because he just can't take it. And, and he goes back to Stillwater and he's um, working in his dad's store, and Senior comes in trying to get his inheritance. I think that's the same. Is that the, that's the one that has more of the father-son vibe where Gibbs yeah. says he, he yeah. can't. He, 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 he buried Tony with, with Kelly. He, with Kelly, yeah, and he, he says he can't, he can't deal with, he can't get through having buried another child. Yeah. And that's all. I think that's also the one. Sometimes I conflate these in my head, but I think that's also the one where if Tony had gotten prompt medical care, he would have survived. But he bled out because he couldn't. He could, um, help got to him too late. Um, so his death was avoidable. Yeah. Um, that one. That was such a heartbreaker. That story is such a heartbreaker. It's great though. You guys are gonna have to find I'll it on your it. own. I, I can't. I can't. Even, I can't even go link hunting because it would just. It would just break my heart to even bring that up. Um, but if you go if if you go look at any dead air reckless, it's going to be on it. Oh yeah, it's on fanfiction.net. Um, so I mean that, that that's the most extreme consequences. Sick, right? Is that Tony dies, and that's not what I want to explore. <laughs> I, I I I sort of I had a plot money for it, but it's something that I didn't. Um, and I, I may have even at one point I mean like written part of it, but it just got to be too much for me. So I don't want to write Tony dead. I don't want to kill my unicorn. So, um, what? What if? What if he does get shot? Tony gets shot. Instead of dying, he ascends. Oh, you wicked woman! You wicked, wicked woman! That is a really good idea. Someone look up. Um, 
the dates on Daniel Jackson's ascension. Because what if Daniel and Tony are friends? Never mind, I'll fucking... What if Tony and Daniel are friends and Daniel sees this and he says, you know what, Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. And he goes and he gets Tony and he walks him through it. He helps him ascend. It's like he sees him bleeding out there, bleeding out, and says, we're going to find it. We're going to do something different. So when they ascend, there's no body, right? Right. So there would just be a lot of blood and Tony would never be found. Tony's blood and no body. And he's only ascended for a year, right? He ascends more than once, right? He ascends twice, but the second time he's immediately put back down um, in Jack's office butt naked. Right. Pretty much immediately. Right. Like, uh, practically no time passed at all. Hmm. That's a really good idea. Really interesting. Daniel's going to be ascended longer. So, okay. So he ascends. When Daniel gets de-ascended, Tony's so pissed, he was like, uh-uh, no, no, uh, no. <laughs> I'm not tolerating you... this. I don't like and you he assholes. Gets... He's the only one I liked. And he gets de-ascended, too. Several years, like I, maybe, a, maybe like six months has passed, and he is deascended with Daniel, and they find them and they bring them um, back to Earth, and um, they remember who they are, or maybe because Tony is there with Daniel, Daniel gets his memory back faster because there's somebody familiar. Yeah. And maybe he dials the SGC and says, um, or, you know, maybe goes to Pick the alpha site. Too. <laughs> this is this is Tony, my Ascension buddy. Um, he used to work with NCIS. I'm not sure what you're going to do about it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be incredible. And they're like, okay, well, he's officially dead, and um, we don't have any. Um, okay, um, Mr. Genozo, how would you like to go to Atlantis? <laughs> we don't know what to do with you, so we'd like to send you to the ass end of space. Because <laughs> we can't have you running around bumping into people you know, because it seems like you know everyone. And you're supposed to be dead. That would be a lot of fun. That would be a hoot. That would be. It'd be so sad on the NCIS side because um, you'd have all of the fallout and the repercussions and all that crap, and Tony being declared dead, never found. And you know, Gibbs has a whole captain. He gets so obsessed. His obsessional thing is ridiculous. And them not finding Tony's body would drive him crazy. I think that Tony would visit Gibbs. I think he would too. Of course, Gibbs would be like, "I can't. I can never drink again while I do my boat." <laughs> <laughs> I can't work on my boat and drink anymore. But I think about because you know, um, much like Daniel visited Jack, uh, um, I, I I do think Tony would visit Gibbs and say, "Look, you know, um, something happened. It's pretty weird, and I can't really tell you. Um, 
And, well, Gibbs um, is going to just think he's a ghost, right? He's going to think he's been visited by a ghost. He's not going to understand the whole dungeon thing. Tony he's going to ask ascended. Yeah, he, he could say I ascended, and Gibbs is just going to go, so you're a ghost. No, I'm not a ghost. I live on another plane of existence. So you're a ghost. <laughs> Be a hoot. And because it'd be like, well, where's your body? Because I want like to give you a proper burial. This this really sucks, Tony. Why are you a ghost? <laughs> I want you to be a ghost. This this is just really shitty. Uh, what would be really also fun for those of you who are a Tony Gibbs shipper um, is that um, Gibbs can't handle this crap at NCIS and. Um, Tony kind of says, okay, you know what? I'll go to Atlantis, but I think you need an agent afloat. <laughs> and I've got just the one in mind for you. <laughs> I want my grumpy will be back. <laughs> he, he's an asshole, but he's my asshole, and, he, and he's going to want to bring his boat. <laughs> I'm not sure what condition it currently is in. It might not be completely built, but he's going to want to bring it. <laughs> he's going to need wood. Lots of wood. <laughs> so Gibbs gets read into the program, and he goes, oh, so I really wasn't a ghost. <laughs> you mean you really weren't a ghost? What the hell, dude? <laughs> wait, wait, you you really did a sin. Great, fantastic. Don't do it again, dude. No, because I don't think so. It doesn't so, matter. It doesn't matter how old Gibbs is. This is fandom. <laughs> That's right. AJ, nothing but a number. Because you know that damn they man sent, actually been forced to retire like a decade ago? They sent Everett and what's his face out there. Both those dudes were old. Er, er, older um, gentlemen around Gibbs' age group. And honestly, if, if, if you're going to have an agent afloat um, in another galaxy um, running um, – point over a whole bunch of um, Marines in that kind of environment, you'd want someone um, who projects a great deal of authority. So it honestly probably wouldn't be someone Tony's age they would send out there. Yeah, that's true. I, Tony and Gibbs as a team makes a lot of sense on Atlantis because Tony can be the they, – they'd be good cop, bad cop. I mean, it's just a natural fit in that kind of environment where, you know, Tony um, – We know where you are, Azure. We always know where you are. I just, I just, something just popped into my head, and it wasn't even totally related. And it was a, a scene in um, Designing Women when Julia says, "Oh, we know who you are, Ray Dawn." <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get that reference, go over to YouTube after the podcast and look up Julia Sugarbaker and Ray Dawn. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, I I didn't I I used Whoopi. I didn't know people didn't know what a Whoopi was. Wow. There's actually a a uh, a series in Stargate called the Whoopiverse. When it comes to your Whoopi, Rodney is the Whoopi. So I had this funny. Um, 
it's not really so much funny, but I thought it was I thought it was a more a, a different spin on um, Tony gets in trouble during dead air. Um, okay. He doesn't get hurt exactly, but so I'm thinking he he either knows Steve or is in a relationship with Steve. Um, because why not? And um, Tony gets kidnapped instead of um, shot or hurt in any other way. So there's probably some unconsciousness going on. But anyway, throw him the throw him the throw him the back of a car, and he's gone. Um, and um, when he wakes up, he has his phone, or either he has his phone or there's a phone at the building. But he's basically out in the middle of nowhere, in a room, he in, in a building he can't get out of with a bomb. And he um, get he, NCIS figures out where he is, but nobody's close. So they're thinking like there's probably like a half hour before they can even get someone in the air to him. And he the clock's ticking down, and he doesn't know how to disarm this bomb. So he calls Steve, and he says. I'm hoping you can help me out with this. But if you can't, I'll call to say goodbye. <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> I'm sitting in a room with a bomb, and nobody can get to me in time, and I've got ten minutes. So, And Super Seal, of course, tells him how to disarm the bomb. Um, and then, of course, there's discussions. You know, Steve's like, well, how the hell did you get how, – how, why, why didn't they hear you getting abducted? So he's like, I don't know. I don't know anything. I woke up out here in the middle of nowhere, and there's a bomb, and I can't get out of this room. But they left me a phone. <laughs> so help me the worst the criminals thing. ever. The worst criminals ever. ever. Well, they probably didn't care if he had a phone, right? Because they figured he's going to be dead before he can make any kind of use of it. Steve just stopping in the middle of whatever he's doing and Danny being like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> I have this picture of them being in the car and Steve's driving the Camaro. And he just and whips it over in parks. Yeah, what like on the freeway or bomb. something. And, <laughs> and Danny's like, what the fuck is the matter with you? <laughs> but there's so many different ways you can explore fixing that episode. So many different you ways can put you can them in jail. People. There's jail, yeah. I really want. I really in some in some episode, I, some 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 story. I really want to actually send Ziva to Gitmo. I threaten it in a story, but I don't think I actually do it. Just for a little while. It doesn't have to be forever, but just for a little while. Oh, why not fun. forever? Well, why not forever? We never heard from her again. We don't know what happened to her. But there's lots of – I mean, I hadn't ever considered until Kira had mentioned the turn it on its head thing about having dead, writing dead air in a way that didn't involve Tony being there. Um, putting Gibbs in Because there place. is a culture of indifference on Team Gibbs um, mm-hmm. if it isn't about Gibbs. Because mm-hmm. everybody's loyal to Gibbs and really nobody's loyal to each other. I mean, they are to, they are to a degree. I mean, the whole thing about hunting down Ziva was almost weird, because hunt, hunting for her, trying to save her, was almost weird because it was incongruous with the way the team dynamic was, which is why I usually tie it back to that they did it for Gibbs, 
not for Ziva because it just is weird after everything that had happened and also how the team functions that they were so devoted and dedicated and put their lives on the line to find her. But even at one point, they they thought she was dead. They were looking to avenge her. Right. Nothing like a federal agency from the United States going on a revenge hunt in a foreign country. Because that's reasonable. So Capricious um, says that, that they think that Tony is loyal to the team, but that they didn't think the team reciprocated. I, actually, I think that I agree with you that I think there's several instances in in the show where it shows Tony, Tony has a lot of loyalty and care for the people that he works with, um, especially McGee. Um, because several times in the show um, he reaches out to McGee at difficult times, um, for in McGee's in McGee's career, not in his own, but in McGee's career and his life, Tony reaches out to him and tries to help. Um, so I do think that Tony has, and certainly he's very protective of Abby. Um, and we don't see as much with Ducky, Jimmy, or and and obviously he's very loyal to Gibbs. The Ziva thing, the the, the biggest mark of loyalty of of Tony to Ziva, and I don't even think it was going to avenge her. I actually think it was his loyalty to Ziva was displayed when he found out that the laptop that was um, funneling NCIS information to Mossad was at Ziva's apartment. His loyalty to her was displayed in the fact that he went to talk to her about it and get her side of it. Now, he encountered her psychotic, drunk boyfriend um, instead of her, but that's what he went to do was right. to ask her, what the fuck? And that was a mark of loyalty on his part, was he was going to give her the opportunity to explain. To come up with some, he probably wanted some explanation that was not espionage. Tell me your boyfriend put this here. Tell me that you didn't do these things. So that was totally uh, an expression of loyalty, um, that he went to talk to her rather than just show up with a bunch of agents to arrest her. I actually did have a plot bunny once where things were a little bit different between them, and um, that's exactly what he does, is he shows up at her apartment with agents to arrest her. And um, when Michael Rifkin goes bonkers, there's never any fight because the other agents just shoot him. (laughs) I mean, the agents are hanging back. The agents are hanging back a bit, so Rifkin doesn't really know they're there. And when he goes for Tony, the other agents just step into the room and shoot Michael Rivkin. So there's never any of the big um, – Tony, he doesn't get stabbed with the glass and that whole big thing. I mean, he's still pissed, but, you know, there are, there's witnesses from two other agents who see, saw the whole thing, and they're the ones who actually killed him. Um, so there's really not much she can say. He was the one being a dick. Yes, he was the one being – and you know, yeah. And it kind of, it kind of um, blows that whole, you know, story, narrative that she had about how Tony was, you know, attacked Michael because he was jealous. That whole narrative was so annoying. Um, it, but it really blows that out of the water if there's other, with, other agents there witnessing it, and they're the ones who actually kill Rivkin. So I think I could actually do that fairly short. So I might do it for one of the. I might do it for the gun prompt. I have a question. If she is, if if, if it is an issue of espionage, um, wouldn't that fall under FBI? 
jurisdiction yes, at that would. point? Yes. So Tony could call the FBI and yeah, he could. and keep out of it completely and Oh, what do you mean the FBI shot your boyfriend? Really? What was he doing here? He's supposed to be left already. We I thought you said you hadn't seen him. Country. Hmm. We warned him to leave the country. That was that was the deal. Gibbs and Gibbs told him to leave. I told him to leave. What was why was he here? You mean he, actually they didn't know at that point that he was her boyfriend. He was her boyfriend. I feel like those words didn't come out right, but whatever. They probably did. Doesn't um, it feel like immature when you're a grown up to call somebody your boyfriend? It does. Doesn't it feel kind of immature? It does, but man friend is really um, weird. So <laughs> this is my man friend. I, I always think man friend is a, is is sort of euphemistic for booty call. Um, we know what's always interesting about Dead Air Fix is that Tony always, um, when he protests it, when he fights, he um, does it within NCIS. You you never see him going to the Inspector General. Um, I've never seen it. Um, I haven't either. I've never seen him go um, to the SECNAV. Um, now, not that he there, would, because technically I think he has to go to the Inspector General. But honestly, at that point, I think he might have also been able to go to the FBI. Mm-hmm, I agree. I agree with that error. I think that he probably could because of the potential ramifications. Um, I mean, they committed a crime. Again. Also, any crimes committed by a federal agent are the purview of the FBI. It's not just ones committed against federal agents in the course of their duty. It's it's crimes committed by any federal agent are the purview of the FBI. So the FBI is supposed to investigate all that stuff. Well, it would be really interesting is if Abby sent, um, contacts Fornell and reports the crime because she doesn't know quite what to do. Um, and she doesn't want to upset anybody. She doesn't want to upset Gibbs. Um, so she just gives it to Fornell to let him deal with it. That'd be interesting. And she, maybe she makes him promise that he won't say where he got the information from. The problem with that, of course, then is everybody's going to think it's Tony. Well, Gibbs will definitely think it's Tony. Yeah. Why'd you go over my head? And that's that's the big issue with Gibbs, is that if Gibbs, if you don't write Gibbs being the one to drive the consequences... So if you don't write him angry and indignant and feeling betrayed himself for what happened, that people on his team would do this. If you don't write him as being um, the force behind the consequences, Gibbs becomes an obstacle because anything yeah. that is done would be considered going over his head um, and taking things outside of the team. And in, in canon, that's a really it's big a betrayal. deal Gibbs. Yeah. That's a betrayal. Um, I think that Abby probably would maybe think about telling him and then witness his reaction to the idea that it was probably Tony and just say, oh, no, 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 I'm I'm, I'm not going to tell that that I did it. Um, And maybe even Tony realizes that it could have only been Abby. And he takes the brunt of it anyway to protect her. Yeah. Because they do. They all protect Abby. They do. Ridiculously, they all do. Like she's not an adult and actually older than Tony. Yeah, because when she, I mean, like all the that the when that episode where she makes McGee take that dog, I mean, it's just such a bizarre thing that she just, you know, that dog attacked McGee, 
and she she brings it to the office and and bullies him into taking it home with him. Um, it's just such Which a strange. Which I think strange... is a hostile work environment. To be perfectly honest, it is. Well, Abby's a walking hostile work environment, but that's yeah. you know. I want. I, I read a fic where um, Tony's gone for a while and um, she comes to hug him, but then she stops because they've made her attend some kind of sexual harassment seminar because she kept hugging people. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony told her it was okay that she could hug him. And I was like, yeah, that about sums that up. Yeah. Or like you know, that, that whole Chocolate Thunder thing on um, Criminal Minds where they all had to send in a, a, sexu- uh, a sexual harassment seminar because of Garcia and Morgan. Oh, yeah, because they, they were just so naughty and everybody's like, oh. But they are, they, they are, they, they definitely cross the line with each other. Those two definitely cross the line for a work environment. Yeah. It, we love it, but it, they definitely, you know, something that you hear, you kind of go, whoa. That's strange at work. I, was, I follow Shamar Moore on Facebook, and he is, he looks, he's been posting pictures about his new show, and he's just, he looks genuinely really happy and relaxed and fit and I'm thinking, man, you must have been miserable on Criminal Minds. Why did you stay? Well, it's a, it's a very successful show. It has to be hard to walk away from if you don't know that there's going to be something and, that I, and I do wonder if he would have walked away if he'd known Gibson was going to get fired. I think probably not, because it does seem like that there was tension between them. Well, yeah, because when um, the day Gibson got fired, he posted a, a video on his Facebook talking about karma and paying for your sins and then deleted it after about an hour. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I think, thought was interesting that I really liked about um, I think Michael Weatherly stayed with NCIS for a long time because there was really nothing else. I mean, he did some other projects, but I think that he hit a point where he just went, "My character is never going to go anywhere. This is never. This, this show is never. It's sort of a dead end for me." And he just decided to leave, even though he didn't know what was going to come next. And um, and then of course CBS was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's um, we'll see find what we can do for you. you to do." But you know, we'll if they were going to genuinely We've got 90 seconds left. If they were going to genuinely um, support Tony as a character, they would have spun Weatherly off into one of the um, other shows. Yeah, I agree. When L.A. got he, spun, spun off, it would have been his show. I agree. He would because Tony being in special operations was actually such a natural fit that it was so peculiar that 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 didn't wind up being his show. Just saying. I swear we could do another hour on dead air. It's just like it's never-ending possibilities. So go beat that we, horse to death. We can do it again. We'll do a part two. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodnight. Good night, everyone.